Our scripture this morning comes from Psalms 42 and 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Continuing in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Open God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. In the most recent issue of Time Magazine, they uh, did a feature story uh, on depression. And here's what they shared. At last count, about 12% of Americans take antidepressants. It's a global revenue for antidepressants. It's about $14.5 billion a year. And it is expected over the next three years to climb to $17 billion. Clinical depression, which is... Ongoing depression affects about 7% of U.S. adults or about 16 million people in the United States and is the, the greatest cause of disability in the world. Cost in the United States economy alone $210 billion a year in lost productivity, missed days of work and care for the many physical and mental illnesses related to depression, like anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, migraines, and sleep disorders. And so I am not going to pretend at all this morning with the gravity of the problem that one sermon 
is going to be sufficient to address fully in any way all the things that surround the issue of depression. Yet perhaps you might find surprising that among the Psalms, 150 Psalms, there are uh, about seven different major categories of Psalms. 65 to 67, depending on how they're categorized, of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. Psalms that were written for people who or by people who are going through difficult, depressing times in their lives. And so if we have more than a third of the Psalms that address the issue, then certainly difficult times are not new. Depression is not a common phenomenon it is, as we say, supra-culture. It is above culture. You could be depressed here, in Africa, in Ecuador. You can be depressed in an affluent family or in a poor family. Depression is not picky as to its recipients. There's a very real reality, and the Psalms bear that out. Not only do the Psalms bear it out, but Christian leaders throughout history give evidence to the reality of depression. Perhaps the greatest pastor to ever live, Charles Spurgeon, battled depression all of his life. If you read his works, he talks about it, talks about the difficulty of it, and how he faced it often and in difficult ways. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was born in 1899, died in 1981, pastored uh, a long extensive pastorate in uh, England. He was a medical doctor whom God called uh, to be a pastor and so spent his life preaching. Wrote a book, uh, widely printed and read, called Spiritual Depression, I'll quote from that book later. So it is that in these two Psalms, which really are one, they share uh, three verses, three stanzas, and one refrain, one uh, uh, refrain over and over again three times that we discover three arenas, you might call them, of depression. And the uh, command is to pray in every one of them. So let's talk about the first, and I have a feeling that as we go through, we'll catch, you'll find yourself in one of these three, if not more. Number one, pray when you are burned out. Pray when you are burned out. Verse one, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Uh, that word pant is an onomatopoeic word. So a little English lesson this morning. In the Hebrew, the word sounds like it means. It is the sound that a deer makes because he is so thirsty that all he can do is moan for water. Jeremiah paints the picture in uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6 of such dry occasion. 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns, her gates languish, her people lament on the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns, uh, the wells. They find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. Even the doe, the deer in the field, forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. This is a picture of dismal dryness. When we were in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago, we went out into a village. This village was so far out, I didn't think we were ever going to get there. We had traveled away from the capital of Ecuador, Quito. We had traveled about two and a half hours to the city of Ibarra. And we went from Ibarra into this village. And when we did, we drove about an hour and a half. No lie, if our bus had gone off the mountain, nobody would know where we are today. It was that bad. Hundreds of feet drop off. We get to this village, only about 25 families live there. This wonderful church in Ibarra sends a team to this village every single Saturday with the goal of planting a church there. I stood with the pastor of that church back in the city of Ibarra, where I preached a couple of weeks ago today. I stood with him and I stood with Carlos, a wonderful godly man who is involved in uh, that work there. And when I stood with both of them, the pastor said, look at these mountains. The mountains around us were remarkable. They were absolutely beautiful. And he said, these mountains, when we arrived here nine months ago, were completely dry. They were yellow. There was no vegetation. It had not rained here in three years. In three years. He said, we began to pray for rain. And the day we prayed, God sent rain. And it has rained ever since. As a matter of fact, they brought to us tamarind oranges out of their own orange grove. They had rain. God had provided. And indeed, Christ had gotten all the glory. We, especially the last week or so, can't imagine going a year or two or three without rain. But perhaps in our lives we can. Verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Notice how God is described. He is described as the living God. Why does he call God living? It's a great question. It is assumed that God is alive. So why does he call him living? Remember, this is a poem. And don't forget the way the streams have been described. Flowing streams, living God. It refers back to the streams, and so the streams help us to understand God. I'm reading a book right now called The Deep Things of God. It is on the Trinity, 
And this book is really transforming how I think about God. It is the kind of book, I started reading it in Ecuador. It is the kind of book that you want to devour. Like you just, I'm into it and I just want to read and read and read and read. But it is so good, I don't want it to end. I've never been, but I imagine that's what a meal would be like at Ruth's Chris. It's just my guess that if a steak costs that much, I'm going to take about three hours to eat it, but it's going to be so good I'm going to want to eat it all at once. And so it is with this book. Well, why? I've studied God for years. I have loads of books I've read. Why is it? It is the, uh, the thinking that the author has forced He says in order to understand uh, God in his Trinitarian aspect, and it deals with God as Trinity, you've got to go before creation. Now, I want you to hear me on this because uh, in America especially, but for people who have education and money, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. We tend to think that God owes us something, that, that God is in our debt, that uh, God ought to come through. It's why you get frustrated at the drive through if they mix up your order. This should never happen to you. You're a rich American. This should never be the case. And so if you go all the way back to the uh, creation or before creation, God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit then. And as Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, God has no need of anything. You see, the Father loves the Son who loves the Spirit who loves the Father. They get along just fine. They've never had an issue with one another. They're one in three and three in one. There's absolutely no disparity among them. Imagine the best time you've ever had as a family. Just this week, we uh, Hannah bought this little game called Catchphrase. Don't know if you've ever played it. Hilarious. We're sitting around in our living room, the four of us playing Catchphrase. We are laughing so hard at times. And I sit there as a dad and absolutely love that. Absolutely love being with our family like that. You take that time, the best time you've ever had, multiplied a million times over, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit thoroughly enjoy one another. They are not uh, in need of anything. You and I were not created because God was lonely. We were not created because God needed us at all. He is the living God who is loving, God is love. He is the living God who is personal. He is the living God who gets disappointed, who becomes angry. Uh, That is who God is. He can be sad. He can be happy. He's got a personality. I'm afraid that We have failed to see him, and this is what our souls thirst for, the living God. Our souls are not content apart from him. How desperate is the psalmist's burnout? Notice this. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
When you get to this place, your tears become accusatory. If God is God, then why? This is what your tears are saying. They're saying to you as they flow down your face, where is your God? I've been there on more than one occasion where I have wept sometimes alone at other times with others. And my tears as they have flowed down my face have asked the question, Where is your God? Uh, Notice verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Uh, The writers of Psalms 42 and 43 are the sons of Korah. They're the worship team. And they remember when worship was good. They remember when they couldn't wait to get to church. Depression dwells on the past because it sees no hope in the future. (laughs) Depression dwells on the past because it sees no hope in the future. That's what depression does. It looks back and sees when things were good because it has no way of looking forward to see when things can be better. There is nothing wrong with reminiscing and remembering, but for the depressed person, reminiscing isn't productive. It forces that person deeper into their depression. We'll see this in every stanza, but here is the refrain, the repeated line. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So herein lies the biblical response to depression. Number one, speak truth about your depression. Speak truth about it. All right, so in the church, probably every church, but in the church, I think there is the thought that since we are to rejoice in all things, 1 Thessalonians, that we ought never to be depressed. And so we put on our happy face and we come to church and we play the great game of pretending, don't we? How are you today? Oh, I'm good. And so we need to immediately repent of lying. Because we aren't. We aren't good. Speak truth about your depression. You will never deal with it until you own it. Number two, and this must couple with number one, speak truth about your God. Um... Modern psychology will delve you deep into your depression, but not throw you the life jacket of God. And in this refrain, there is honesty about depression and honesty about God all in one. Let me read it again. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That's honesty about depression. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so let me read from uh, Dr. Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says the main problem in the whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. All right, so track with me. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. David, in effect, says, Self, listen for a moment to what I have to say. Why are you so cast down? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, question yourself, and preach to yourself. You must remind yourself who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do. This is the essence of the treatment in a nutshell. We must understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him, speak to him, remind him of what you know. So rather than listening to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you, you must take control. All right, so let me just get super practical and we'll jump into the next reality. All right, so there are too much of some things these days. And if you're going to begin to speak to yourself, the way that you must do it is to turn some other things off. Okay, there is too much news today. Amen? Way too much. Way too much news. It flies in on your phone. This morning, I get up and the weather app is already talked about something that's happening out in Arkansas or Oklahoma that's tragic. Our minds are not intended to process this much bad stuff. All right? So, for some of you, you need to turn off Fox or CNN or whatever your outlet is for the news and minimize it. There's too much news. Number two, there is too much social media. All right? Too much. Uh, Facebook has taken normalcies and made them tragedies. It has. When, when, when a flat tire is Facebook worthy, that may be too much. When you burned your cookies and you take a picture of them and put them on Facebook, I don't care. Right? Social media has reached the point of absurdity uh, of all the things we post and then when people jump on there and they join us in it, they only join the song of poor me, oh me, uh, look what happened to me, uh, look at me, uh, it's awful, um, Facebook, all right, let me speak and so love seeing you guys down front, um, Instagram, Snapchat for this generation is bringing way too much drama into your lives. 
and it's drama. It's drama. Uh, high school popularity is uh, having people who have as much drama as you think highly of you. All right? That's what it is. That's high school popularity. Is having people who are as dramatic as you are think highly of you. It disintegrates into nothingness uh, by about four weeks after graduation. Amen? Like it's over. And you're like, whoa, I'm going to a college and nobody knows me. And I'm nothing anymore. And I'm the low person on the totem pole. And by two years into college, you don't remember your friends from high school. You say, oh, gee, that's devastating. No, it's called growing up. Um, that's what it is. We have these ideas. All right, so pray when you're burned out. Number two, pray when you are overwhelmed. Look at verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Um, so where's Miser? Where's Hermon? Why does it matter? If we were to map out uh, Jerusalem and Israel, Miser and Hermon are at the uh, source of the Jordan River. All right, so that's as far north as you can go in Israel without uh, not being in Israel anymore. And Jerusalem is in the south. And these are worship leaders. So where ought worship leaders be in the temple in Jerusalem? Where are they? They're as far north as they can get without being out of Israel. They are far from home. They are far from home. And they look at waterfalls, which ought to bring them a sense of great joy at the creation of God, right? They look at those waterfalls, but the very waterfalls that might bring you joy when someone else is depressed reminds them of the uh, overwhelming feeling. The water itself reminds them that they are drowning in the details of their lives. That's how depression works. It's like a lens that goes over your glasses, goes over your eyes, and everything you see, you see through the lens of depression. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's good news, if it's somebody else's birthday, you remember the loss of your loved one who died. You can't help it. It's like everything you see are like waters coming over you. It's like being at the beach and the waves are coming in and there's somebody frolicking in the waves, having a blast, and you're standing there and every time you get up, another one hits you and knocks you down only for you to get up again and another one to hit you and knock you down and the waves are coming over and what they're enjoying is drowning you. That's what is described here. So how does he feel? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He feels like God has forgotten him. He's drowning. He's a long way from home. He feels like God has forgotten him. Every week I counsel people who feel like God has forgotten them. And it is okay to say, 
that you feel like God has forgotten you. If that's how you feel. At least 62 or 65 to 67 of the Psalms do the same. Though he feels God has forgotten him, he knows God hasn't. Why? Well, he wouldn't pray to him, would he? Do you notice the conflict? This is how depression works. You, you're, you're, you're in turmoil inside. So what is his distress? As with the deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 10. Um, he's got some enemies. And his enemies are making fun of him. And they're taunting him. And they're saying, where is your God? All right. Notice in the, when you're burned out, your tears do that. When you're overwhelmed, your circumstances ask the same question. Where is your God? This is the kid at school who repeatedly is bullied. This is the parent sandwiched between an aging mother and a difficult teenager. This is the person with the boss who won't quit harassing him or her. Number one, be honest about your depression. That's what he says. My adversaries taught me. And let me speak to students who are down front and love having you down here. This is so key for you. This is so critical that you go to godly parents, godly friends, loads of godly teachers in our schools, your life group leader, and if this is where you are, be honest about it. Speak truth about it. And look at this. Speak truth about your God. Look at verse, uh, verses 8 and 11. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God for I shall again praise him? my salvation and my God. I'm convinced that the psalmist probably doesn't feel verse 8. He states it as an affirmation of faith. God, you're with me in the day and at night you're with me. A song to the God of my life. Third, pray when you are misjudged. Pray when you are misjudged, we might say misunderstood. Verse 1 and 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. To vindicate is to clear someone of an unjust accusation. 
This is not a one-time deal of the psalmist. It's going on and on again. It's oppression. That word oppression is only used a dozen times in the Old Testament. The first two occurrences of it have to do with the way Egypt treated Israel. By making them slaves and killing their baby boys, beating them. The Israelites did nothing to deserve this. That is the definition of oppression. It's not what you bring on yourself, but it's when you do nothing to deserve it. An unfair boss, an abusive spouse, an abusive parent, repeated bullying in school, being cheated by your employer. All of oppression includes powerful and powerless. It's, it's when somebody uses their power for an unfair advantage over you. I've been there. It's awful. You feel there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. You are under the thumb of someone else. Their wish is to destroy you. That's oppression. Pray when you are misjudged. Speak truth about your depression. Speak truth about your God. I have no idea why in my life I've had three rounds of this. Three, three bouts with depression. I realized this week when I was sitting waiting on Trent, Riley, from football, and practice went over almost an hour. I, I sat there and decided to record that video and drop it on Facebook. More than 3,000 people would watch it. I received a text from someone who's out of town and there's so many people joining us this morning by Facebook. And this person said, all my adult life I've battled depression. I have always been ashamed to admit it. And then I get on and I see, here you are and you've mentioned it. Sunday morning, my husband and I will be by the computer. We can't be there, but we'll be watching. We live out of town. I don't know why. I, I really don't, I, honestly. I think it's the, one of the most unexplainable things. But it's a reality. My first round, I was 15 just given my life to Christ. And I sensed that God, God had some kind of call on my life that was different, but I didn't know how to put my finger on it. But one morning I woke up and there it was. 
I find no predecessor to it at all, no predictor of it at all. It is just that morning when I woke up, I was convinced in my mind that though I had just received Christ, I was lost and going to hell. I worked with my dad. My dad was a rock mason. I recommend that for anybody who thinks you don't want to go to college. <laughs> That's why I went, because I did that. And uh, I would get up in the morning, and when I woke up, I would have maybe 30 seconds of reprieve until the thoughts would flood me, and when they did, I would go to the bathroom before I'd eaten anything and throw up. And then I'd work all day long out in the hot sun, carrying rocks, mixing mud, we called it cement. Then I'd dread going to sleep at night because I thought I would die in my sleep and be in hell. I have no idea why. Three months. I lost so much weight in that three months that I was gaunt. Never occurred to my parents, they didn't grow up like this to get me to see somebody. I prayed and prayed. They prayed. I do not, ex cannot explain how it came and I cannot explain how it left. It was a Sunday night in that little Free Will Baptist Church where we could spontaneously testify that I sat in my normal spot down front, went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and it was miserable. And that night, for some reason, the Holy Spirit pushed me up out of my seat, not in some weird way as I'm describing it, but moved by the Spirit. And I said these words. It's all I said. I just want to thank God that I'm a Christian. And it left. Just like that. I can't explain that. My next round was college. I think most of that was my fault. No lie. I think my sin of pride, arrogance, not the typical party and sex scene sins. No, it was academic, intellectual, pathetic, ridiculous arrogance. And then my last round was a few years ago as pastor of this church. Lasted a few months then. And God revealed to me that I was worshiped in this church in this ministry, that it had indeed become my God. Got that while I was mowing grass. Side of the yard. Um, verse 3 of 43 is huge. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Why is that big? That, don't forget, they're all the way up north. 
And do you know what they realized? That if they're going to get free of their, their angst, God has to somehow come out on a search and rescue mission. Send out your light. God, I'm in a dark place. Send out your light. Send out your truth. Send out your light. Let them bring me to your holy hill. What is the holy hill? The temple into your dwelling. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and I agree, that the overarching response to depression is to look on God's holy hill. And when you look on his holy hill, when we do, we see a cross. And when we see a cross, we see a man who suffered like we do, yet without sin. We see someone who took on our flesh, who walked among us, who felt what we feel, who hurt like we hurt. There is no other religion with the cross. There is no other religion that says, here is the standard, here is the standard keeper. And the standard keeper died for you. And the standard keeper walked in your skin. And so when you trust the one who keeps the standard, you, by trusting him, receive all all the power of the Father and all the love of the Spirit and all of the grace of blood flowing down His face and thereby you are able to respond to a search and rescue mission of a great God who loved you enough to send His Son Jesus to die for you and if the rest of your life you on and off or constantly deal with depression, I guarantee you that one day in his presence you will sing the songs of hope and victory again amen christ gives you that christ gives you that and i would just say to you as one who has been down in the dredges and who has worshiped when i didn't feel like it who has sung songs that i didn't feel but i believe there is a god who will lead you to a place of victory and hope and joy. Why? Because scripture says if he has taken care of the most depressing part of your life, which is your awful sin, will he not also with Jesus freely give you everything else you need? Amen, church? He will. God would not meet your greatest need and leave all the other things undone underneath. Oh, Jesus touched on this. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So our praise team is going to come. And as they do, we're going to be here to pray with you. There are two ways I think that are big to respond this morning. Some of you have never trusted Christ. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And you need Him desperately. Oh my goodness, you need him. I'm not talking about church membership. You may already be a member of this church and somehow deceived about your salvation. Oh my goodness, you of all people need to come to Christ. And you will find in him hope and help and healing. But then I love verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God. God, once you sent out your light, the search and rescue mission, and you find me and you grab me, then I'll go to your altar to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. Like we'll crank up the instruments.
were the worship leaders. God, come get me. God, come get me. And as soon as you get me, I promise I'll sing. So there's some of you who are in this place this morning. The last few months, I've walked with you through hell in your lives. You're going to stand up and you're going to sing out of total faith. You don't feel it. You're not singing because you feel good. You're singing because Christ is good and He is in you and He is the hope of glory. Amen. Then you may need to talk with me, Alan Michael, Adrian, Diane. We're going to be up here. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship. You respond as God leads you.